Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Yep. Episode 120. One. Now with more glowing gemstone radiation things. Masika is so excited, even though she can't see it. <laughs> you can hear it because Abnormer's like, ooh, for like 10 minutes. So when last we had left the doorkeepers, the party had arrived at the abandoned temple of Sorenre in the Parched Dunes, looking for clues to the location of the Sightless Sphinx. Therein, they had gotten into an altercation with a royal naga, who had proceeded to deafen two people, blind a third, and uh, then just kind of noped out of there. Yep. Yep. Well, his bleeding attack wasn't working. Yeah, that's true. Living monolith paid off. He wasn't able to scare you guys away, so he's like, yeah, well, if it, eh, my stuff's not worth I'll it. I'll be back. But uh, the party following this fight had entered into the Temple of Serenre, had gone a, done a little exploration there, and had found a secret chamber, where it is, I believe I described it with that, uh, that particular arid reptile house smell. Mm-hmm. Kind of musty. Pleasant. And then uh, an assorted number of statuary and other objects to art. Which he has stolen from other tombs. We don't oh, probably. actually know that. Well, we haven't inspected them yet to know. Yeah, True. but y'all but are really jumping to conclusions one. on this. Rick said that he stole it from other tombs, that none of it was from here. I said that none of it was from here and perhaps yeah. it was taken from other locations. I didn't well, say that Well, we know for sure it. that the gemstone which has a sex mark got stolen. Yeah, that's the only thing. But if one thing, probably Y'all many things. Y'all are very judgy on this Naga. He was rude. Yeah, so were we. He started it. We barged into his house. First of all, he never said he lived here. But hey, I want to investigate the site. And he was like, no, you're too stupid to do that. And so he, he started He did not it. start with the too stupid to do that. Uh, he kind of actually did start with the uh, implication that we were not smart enough or learned enough to be able to even know what we saw when we went inside. Regardless... The party then had found the secret chamber wherein they had found a giant glowing crystal. Looks like Narmer's. With a brass holder built around it, emblazoned with the two owls and a house symbol of the architect just set. Yeah. Narmer. Yes. I need you to put that in the bag so I can look at it tomorrow when I can see. We haven't actually role-played the part where you even find out what's there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but as we get begin, uh, Citra, you stand in this dusty old room. The rest of the party kind of crowding in the door behind you, staring down at this brilliantly glowing blue-white light. I'm going to detect magic and see if I get the spell off. I roll a 46, so I do get to detect magic in here. 18 seconds before she can even try to identify it. It's true. It looks like he might have been here for a little bit. I think he was bedding down in this room. Uh, so Sudi would write down, this collection of art seems like it doesn't belong here. Well, he did say he was an archaeologist. He's probably been taking things from other locations. Anything nifty? Masika waves a hand in front of her face as a reminder. (laughs) Hollis is like, she does the toff where she's like, looks great to me. Sudi Sudi writes writes down, but how did he move all of it? He didn't have any arms. He had a bet. Well, I'm casting a spell for 18 seconds, so I can't talk to you. He, uh, He probably had magic. So he just shrugs. Somehow he got all those crowns and everything on his heads. He certainly had magic. Maybe? I don't know. When he was in his human form, was he like fully in a human form or was that an illusion? Uh, I don't know anything about Royal Naga, so. It's like a polymorph. So he was in his human form and his human form was physical. So he what writes down, oh, he probably has like 
A magic bag or something. Okay, cool. Uh, Hollis, with your detect magic, you can determine that this has a moderate evocation aura. It looks Aww. to be a part of something bigger, but it doesn't seem to do anything on its own. Okay, so I can't really spellcraft it to know more things. It seems something akin to, for lack of better, a better phrase, as well as extrapolating from what you have seen of Chistisek's work previously, this looks like a power source. It looks like it would only go to a single object that would probably correspond to it. Also, Masika, of interest, and I guess we bury the lead, it appears that a another of Chisisek's power sources is here, kind of like the gem that Nama has. What? Where? Masika reaches her hands out blindly. <laughs> it's about 2.4 meters ahead of you. <laughs> I'll just put it in your hand. Just uh, don't stumble over the... Oh, wait, no, hang on. He, like, puts a hand out and, like, pushes Masika back. You're about to trip over a... Looks like a mural? Alice puts the stone in her hand. <laughs> Can I? I don't suppose I can tell anything by feeling around on it. You cuddle it. Feels like radiation. Tracing your thumb along the edge of it, you can feel (laughs) points where it would latch into place. In essence, points where the bezel could be attached to a larger device, perhaps. Hmm. This looks to be maybe the power source for some sort of giant pyramid killing weapon. More likely (laughs) than not, it looks like. It feels like a larger version of the one that powers Narmer. It feels like it's some sort of connection for a automaton or a construct of form of oh, some fun. form. It feels like it's like Narmer's but bigger. So it's probably a power source for another clockwork. Oh. Well, Nar- unfortunately, we can't ask the Naga where we where he found it. But it does mean the Naga was poking around in Chisasek places. I'm just going to point out, we or, could have asked him about it. Oh, stop he being so snarky. He would never have told us any of this. You don't know. You don't know. Not without us telling him everything we're looking for, which is bad. Not necessarily. Narmer, put it in the bag so I can look at it tomorrow. Maybe we can okay. fix the metal sage with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, looking around at the rest of the pieces here, like, I mean, you said it doesn't look like it belongs here, but like... Does it look pristine like he just robbed a museum or does it look like ancient stuff that he probably found in, a, in another tomb or ruin or something like yeah, that? Yeah, if Sudi likes, you can make a, a praise check. I'm not really great at that, but I'm going to try. I roll an 11 for an 11. <laughs> it looks old. That's about all you got. Is there anything else magical in here? No. There are, again, a variety of different art pieces in total. Uh, there are a total of eight art pieces, uh, various statues, paintings, pottery, so on and so forth. Uh, individually, you don't know how much they're worth or you know, really all together. In addition to that, there's a, uh, a collection of various papers and scrolls. Read the papers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Sudi will start collecting some of the papers to pass over to Hollis because I guess you're the smart one. To... Well, and Masika can't read right now. Yeah, I was going to say, Masika's sure. blind, so that's not going to work. And... Yeah, but Narmer can use my rank, so if there's anything, he can kind of try to help poke around. Yeah, it depends on what the what the documents contain, if there's any, like... Honestly, we came in here probably looking for some kind of documentation, so this is probably... If we're going to find anything, it's going to be here or it's going to be on the wall somewhere. Okay. Masika finds some place out of the way to sit down. What languages does Hollis know? Hollis knows Common, Elven, Osiriani, Ancient Osiriani, Kellish, Dwarven, Draconic, Null, and Undercommon. Very well. Uh, about half of these are written in a language you don't know. You may make a linguistics <laughs> check if you so wish. I will. Uh, I roll a 15 for a 27. With the 27, half of these are written in Celestial. Oh, anybody speak Celestial? Does Masika speak Celestial? No, on yours did, though. That's why you're oh, thinking I, it was yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the morning, I'll prepare... Um, comprehend languages. Comprehend languages. I'm yeah. adding things to my list of things to prepare. 
they seem to be written in a variety of different hands, so from possibly a large number of different people. Mm. The other ones that you see here, some of these look to be, they're not even writing. Some of these actually look to be someone took charcoal rubbings of murals or important portions of hieroglyphs scrawled on walls. Some of these look to be hieroglyphs in Osiris in Osiriani, ancient Osiriani. Some of these look to be markings from walls of places distant from here, with art depictions of something that you'd find more likely in Katapesh or maybe even further south. Weird, this guy got around. Anything relevant? There's a small scattering of other papers that seem to pertain or seem to have been taken from a variety of places. Some of them are written in ancient Osiriani, although they don't seem to be of anything of import to what you're looking into right now. They honestly look to be the equivalent of diary entries or recollections of an Osiriani servant in the house of the pharaoh some 3,000 years ago. Hmm. As far as historical, it does have some historical import, perhaps, although you're not really even sure how you price this or even determine its actual import other than a window into the day-to-day life of people from that period. The only thing that you find of some interest are a number of papers that all seem to be written in the same hand, all of them in Taldane. These appear to be a number of, you wouldn't even call them journal entries, almost like a campaign book. They've been neatly stacked together and then bundled, tied by a uh, a leather thong, of which once you slide that off, you can see that they've been organized seemingly chronologically, although many of them aren't dated. Hmm. It would probably take you an hour or two to go through all of these. Do they look like they're written by like, I mean, are there any names or anything in them? The only thing that you see that crops up periodically are phrases to um, Seren Ray or the Dawn Flower or the Healing Light. It looks to be somehow related to the church. But not important enough to be removed with the de-consecration? A few of these are signed down towards the bottom with the name Sophronia of Zamar. Is that an important person that we might know? You can make a knowledge geography. Okay. I'm going to roll some 15s today, apparently. I rolled a 15 for a 32. The name Sophonia does not ring a bell. Mm. Zamar, however, is a city in Taldor. Oh. Interesting. It's part of the border between Taldor and Kadira and is one of the largest defensive fortifications along their border. If it has oh. any import, and, and Paulus would probably note this, the person's name is Sophronia. The region is known as Sofra. It is the Sofra oh. prefecture. Hmm. So it'd be basically like someone named Virginia from the state of Virginia. Well, we should take these for studying. It appears that possibly someone important from Taldor wrote these. I mean, I think the people that came to the Serenrayan temple were Taldane anyway, right? Should we be taking his research? These are not his. He did not write them. Actually, we don't know if he wrote some of these. I know he didn't write this collection of stuff that Zephrenia wrote. If we, we need to take what we have to find to find the sightless sphinx. The cult is more important than some random guy out here that tried to kill us. Could we send, sit down right now, read through everything, and then just leave it? I thought we, we were scared. We don't know when he'll come back. Two of us are still deaf. I'm still blind. Mm, fair point. I mean, I don't have a better solution, but we should probably finish looking through the rest of this area. I mean, he can keep his weird little, like, 3,000-year-old slave journal or whatever. That's not really important to what we're doing here. And these Sophronia ones do? She was part of the Serenrayans that came from Taldor who may know where the Sightless Sphinx is. So yeah, her journal matters. And he probably wrote all this other junk in Celestial because like, that's not a normal thing you find down here. 
Do Royal Naga speak Celestial? Nah, probably. I'll assume right now for ease that you guys are writing everything down back and forth to one another while doing this, so it is taking a very long time. I'm sure it's not great radio. No, yeah, it'd make for awful radio. So, regardless, um, this is the, you've already searched the entirety of this temple. It is only five rooms. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's fairly small. And we didn't find any other evidence, so it's got to be in here somewhere. Assuming, yeah, assuming there is any evidence mm-hmm. left. Because wouldn't, wouldn't it be just like the uh, Serenites to come in, destroy all the writings in here so that there was no mention of Horus or the sightless Sphinx or anything that would be useful for us and then set up their own shop? Well, the Serenites are the ones that probably that may have gone out to that location. So the clues are probably in this bundle. Oh, that's right. I had forgotten why we came out here. It's because the Serenites went out there. Yes. Yes. Hey. These are literally the people we're looking for. Hey. <laughs> you know... Um, it's been a minute. Hollis will tuck that in her backpack, I guess, and be like, we can leave the rest of this if you want. I don't really care. None of it's all that important or special. It just makes me uncomfortable. I don't understand why you're so concerned about taking some papers that are going to help us save the entirety of so- so- of Osirian from a strange Naga thing that's first instinct was to murder us when things got a little heated. Huh. Um, that is that, revisionist. That is extremely <laughs> um, revisionist. That wow. is not what happened. <laughs> wow. It's, I don't know. It still just makes me feel icky to be stealing. Like, the stuff that is necessary for us to stop the cult, yeah, that's fine. But the rest of it just... That's all we're taking. That and the Chisisek thing. I know, but when we first came in here, y'all came in like we were just going to loot everything. It just made me uncomfortable. I guess Sudi would kind of, like, perk up. What if we take these... We leave a note that says we will return the notes t- tomorrow. I'm not coming back here. I'm not coming back here. We have things to do. I mean, Nod can come back. You don't have time. We can send Narmer back? No. I can come back. Wait, can Narmer be blinded? I thought we said it, he can't be blinded by it. I'm impervious to harm. The thing could kill Nama for a lot of other ways. Or he might just keep Nama because he apparently likes to take things that belong to just a sec. Remember he wanted to investigate <laughs> Narmer? Right. I'm not sending Narmer alone anywhere near this thing. I am very interesting. I mean, I just think it would be better for maybe not leaving an enemy behind us. I think that ship has sailed, Sudi. Maybe. Just a thought. At some point, (laughs) we can come back and put the papers back. But first, we should probably save the bee baby, find her mentor, find my best friend who saved my life once, who's probably evil. These things seem like higher priority than offending a Naga by taking things that don't belong to him. Yeah, Masika's neutral good. We're taking... To her taking the papers for the greater good. I'm just saying, this whole situation just, it felt icky to me. Like, we came in here, like, I I feel like we're getting a little arrogant. We've been usually pretty diplomatic about things, and we did not approach it that way very well this time. I think we got our, I think we let our egos get ahead of us. Usually people we diplomatize with don't immediately call us stupid to our faces. Yeah, but we've dealt with ruder people than this. Yeah, but I'm ti- I'm kind of tired of kowtowing to people who think that they're important when they're not, is where Hollis is at. Everyone she cares about is either dead or f***ed by this cult, and she's very just tired of having to deal with people who think they're important and they're not. That's fair, but I'm, I'm just saying that kind of goes against how we usually play. I mean, we'll be nice to people in the future. In the giant lizard's defense, he is royalty. Uh, nobody's ever uh, in my defense nobody's ever heard of him it's not your fault you're not up to date on Naga News (laughs) the Naga News Network we'll be nice to other people it's just that one guy just uh, wasn't uh, no 
So I guess the takeaway from this is you're planning on taking only the documents written, only the documents in that one bundle and only the crystal and you're leaving the rest of the art pieces and all that historical items here, as well as what you're going to maybe think are his papers. If it's pertinent, Hollis could probably determine this. Uh, it looks like it was written in five different hands. Oh, yeah, because he so can be five different people or whatever, probably. Heads. So we don't know if each head has a different handwriting. <laughs> Wait. Wait, that would also... Does that mean he can turn into five different people who all have different handwriting? It's possible. so. Unfortunately, you know cool. very little about Nagas or Royal Nagas yeah. or their culture or anything else. That's a question for the after party. Yeah. For all you know, this place was like Mount Rushmore, where it was like his, of historical or religious importance to his people before the Serenites and the Osirians came along and carved a giant temple into the face of it. I'm pretty sure Nagas are not native to this region, but... I don't know. Actually, they they are. They're native to northern Garoon, eastern or the western portions of Kadira, mostly to the southern portions of uh, Vudra. But they actually had an empire that was about half as big as the Serpent Folk Empire during their height during the Age of Serpents. Then they also got screwed over by climate change at the same time the Serpent Folk did. Oh, well, you know. A lot of people got screwed over by that, to be be honest. Climate change. Ruining it for all sorts of cold-blooded people. Well, it's also the meteor impact that causes the Age of Darkness, where it's just like, oh, well, we can't breathe above ground anymore. This is this is unpleasant. That was about 5,000 years after the Serpent Folk. But yeah. Anyway, all let's that leave. So where are you leaving to? Yeah, like, are we going to try to make camp here, or are we going to go out in the desert and make camp? No, I think we should go out in the desert, just in, so if this guy comes back, we don't have to deal with him again. Yep. Very well. So we pack back up on the camels. I suppose you all gather yourselves together, make your way back out, probably nervously look about because there could be an invisible five-headed naga hanging around the corner. Or a baycock. Yeah, the baycock's more scary Yeah, or a right baycock. Now, That'd be a great time for him to swoop in, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you make your way off just into the open desert. Is that your plan, or you have a direction you're heading? The direction we think uh, that the north. sightless sphinx is. Yeah, yeah it's still north. north. So continuing north from here? All right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you can travel for, you're actually already approaching sunset, so you can travel for another hour or two before you'll need to make camp as the sun begins to reach the furthest horizon. Just as long as there's some space between us and the temple. Yep. Uh, by this point, you could get the better part about three or four miles away. You all set off, make your way away from the temple, put some distance between you and the potentially angry snake man. You exit out of the the larger dunes, further to the south and make your way into a little bit more of a rocky expanse. The dunes here don't stretch up nearly as high as they do further to the south. And here you can find a quiet place to camp and hopefully not be buried by the sands come morning. Eventually, though, I suppose you all settle in for the evening. Yeah, Hollis is going to read the journal or the collection of papers. The party rests up for the evening, wakes up the following morning. I can memorize or remove blindness, deafness to not going to have as much healing since I can't convert. So I've immediately forgotten that that fact. So everybody keep that in mind. And they affect automatically. So once you cast the spells, then you have your sense of sight and hearing and everything else back. Well, that's a relief. Hollis, did you find anything in the papers? Uh, I don't know. You did. I did. You awaken the next morning. Pray for spells. Read spell books. Set your sharpens her kukris. So he sleeps, because actually I think you kind of sleep towards the, the end of the night for the short yep. period of time that you need to. Armor patrols around, having made new stacks of rocks, burrowing little tunnels into the ground to find rocks under the sand. <laughs> it's nice to have hobbies out here in the desert. I don't have an innate dig speed. 
However, I also never tire. <laughs> yep, it's true. Makes up for it. Hollis, the paper's made for an interesting read. Again, they seem to be from this, this individual, this Sophronia of Zamar. From what you can read here, it involves a little bit of their history. You probably use the term they as they seem to present in a shifting array of masculine and feminine qualities. Seem to use masculine pronouns at some point and seeming to use feminine pronouns for themselves at other points. You'd probably primarily refer to them using a feminine pronoun due to the fact that anytime that they're working as a priestess of Serenre, they always use feminine pronouns for themselves. Hmm. Although not necessarily in other facets of their lives. Interesting. Sophronia seems to have been raised in a noble house of Tal- in Taldor, the bastard child of a Taldane noblewoman and a Kadiran swordsman. Exactly how this came to pass, you don't know. The last entries you see here are from 4573, so a little over 150 years ago. Uh, what do you get taking 10 on knowledge history? I get a 23 taking 10. Taldor and Kadir are currently in a tentative peace. This was actually written when Taldane and Kadir were still at war, during what was referred to in Taldor as the Grand Campaign. This was a war that lasted for about 524 years. Dang. Wow. It ended in 4603, so it ended about 30 years after this person's last entries. So, in essence, this Sophronia grew up as the half-daughter of a person of Kadiran's descent during a war between Taldor and Kadira. Hmm. They seem to have grown up with a general hatred or disdain for the Church of Serenre, which from huh. what you understand was generally disliked and viewed as spies and saboteurs by many in Taldor because it was the, of course, sanctioned state religion of the nation of Kadira. Eventually, they seem to have found out about their other parentage and then eventually came to a, uh, a revelation, if you will, a religious awakening discovering the faith of Serenre. Following this, they seem to have engaged in numerous battles ranging from Kadira and Taldor to the River Kingdoms, Ustalov serving alongside knights in Last Wall before making their way back down and fighting in Chiliax before its infernal takeover, before eventually deciding to make their way to Assyrian on this most recent quest of theirs. She titles everything or signs off on everything as Sophronia of Zamar, Templar of Serenre, and refers to her brothers and sisters as the eight other Templars. Okay. She makes some interesting anecdotes. It's actually probably pretty enjoyable reading as it gives you a, a fun insight into life back then. Mind you, you were alive back then, yeah. but you weren't experiencing anything in this region. Hmm. Or she often jokes about her relationship with her fellow friends, uh, as well as her wife, who apparently was also a uh, priestess of Serenre and on the same quest as she was. Cool. Uh, in addition to this, she mentions about how often... Uh, the people here, especially in Osirian, would look at her strange as unlike any of the other Serenites, she was raised as a knight of Taldor and used a longsword and plate mail. Oh, yeah, that would be weird. Much to the curiosity of many of the other people here. Hmm. It's the last entry on here that seems to be of some interest immediately to you. There are a couple here about them traveling into the deserts of Osirian, about them meeting with the tribal elders of the Bakken, about learning of the the area where this shrine this sightless sphinx is supposed to be. She never expressly states whom they're opposing. Apparently she did not journal particularly well, nor is this really a journal so much as she just made notes, sometimes dating it, sometimes not. Hmm. This is one of the rare ones that actually was dated here as they seem to have been, you guess, in the site where you found this. 
The paperwork here is titled 20th of Serenith, 4573. Today is the solstice. With the dawn flower shining down on us, we offer up our prayers and sacrifices to assure victory in the battle soon to come. With the dawn tomorrow, we set off to find the sightless sphinx and rid this land, my ancestor's land, of the vile cult that infests its heart. The journey thus far has not been easy, and the path ahead is only more treacherous. The Sphinx is hidden deep in the desert, but the Everlight has shown us the way. We travel east to the scorched obelisk that stands in the desert, halfway between this holy temple and the pillars of the sun. From there we must go north to the ruins of Ker Ma, where once they built the legendary sand ships. The sightless Sphinx hides in the northern deserts beyond. I leave this ledger here with plans to reclaim it. If you are reading this, then I have failed and fallen cleansing this land of its abyssal taint. Know that I died with no regrets. I pray that you are noble souls and that if darkness remains in this desert, that you will drive it out with fire and light. The bottom is signed for the sun and the fury. Sophronia of Zamar, Templar of Serenre. So east to the scorched pillar and then north to what? The Ma- ruins Kermah. of Kermah. K-H-E-R-M-A. Ah. I gotta say, I like the Sophronia. She nope. thought maybe somebody would find this and she told us that if there was still, a, what is it? A dark taint on the land that we should ferret it out with uh, fire and light, which, I mean, that's what we're doing. I mean, it might not be the same. Specifically, she said abyssal taint. It, oh, Abyssal, that's right. It might not be the same taint, but there's definitely taint that we're going to go uh, destroy. So, yeah. Maybe they're related. Maybe there's like a, you know, uh, like a fungus type situation where like the mushrooms are connected underneath the soil, but they only pop up occasionally and they're not always in the same exact space. <laughs> what were the rest <laughs> of the directions? It's east and north and what? East to the Scorch Obelisk. From there, north to the ruins of Karamaw. Uh-huh. From there, in the des- in the northern deserts beyond. Do I know anything about those places? The Kerma and the, the Scorched Obelisk? Uh, anyone that wishes to make me an all's local, meh. Yeah. I'm going to roll a 6 for a 17. I guess Sugar can roll. roll a, no, she rolls worse. Roll an 11 for 26. Yay! Uh, the Scorched Obelisk, neither of you know of. Citra, Kerma was a legendary city somewhere out here in the desert. From what you understood, it grew up around, or it was a city built around a small oasis. And then, as legend has it, the desert swallowed the oasis. Mm. And then everyone you know, left. Like it does. <laughs> yeah. Like it does. Tale as old as time. Caramal was legendary for its sand ships. These were oh. basically river barges that they enchanted to be able to sell across sand the same way a barge does across water. So kind of like oh, the, so uh, the ships in, the, in Avatar. Yeah. 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 Sand skimmer type things. Yeah. That would be pretty helpful. Yeah. yeah if we could find one, one, that would be a huge <laughs> find. Let's get us a sand ship. That's probably where Citra heard of it because they're like, they're in children's tales now about these like sand ships of Karamaw and all the rest of that. Oh, cute. And Karamaw is supposed to be this legendary place that's out there in the desert. Can I cast legend lore about this place and get an actual maybe location? Uh, location? No, you get legends about it. I don't need legends. <laughs> Well, we kind of have some directions, so. No, the thing says through, though it often provides enough information to help you find the person, place, or thing in the description of legend lore. 
So more likely than not, it would say it is north of the Scorched Obelisk. Mm, which we already know. You did say Kerma. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, she did. They did, I guess. Oh, I really hope we find this city. I remember what? all the stories that my parents used to tell me about it. What's there? They were known for their uh, sand ships that could basically sail across the sands. They were enchanted. Ooh. Well, that sounds pretty fun. I mean, if they still exist, that would be helpful. Yeah, it used to be this grand city around an oasis, but, you know, it got eaten by the desert, basically. I mean, the directions here are actually fairly good. They give us a landmark, a direction. I mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty much better than we've gotten up until now. It's almost like this paladin wanted you to find where this place is. Maybe we'll Probably. find the ship. <laughs> so I guess we should go east until we see an obelisk, and then we should go north from there. Well, they, she said it was halfway between the temple and the pillars of the sun, so that's, I mean, at least some hint if we've gone too far. But where are the pillars of the sun relative to where we are? They're those giant mountains on the edge of the map. From where you are, they're approximately 50 miles away. Okay. So we got 25 miles to go. All right. Pretty much. All right. Yay. Okay. We cast our spells that help us transverse the desert quickly, and we go. Mm-hmm. Away. Very well. So, and you guys are still doing the uh, daily resist energy, correct? Yep. yep. Not resist and energy, I'm casting elements. my mage armor. Okay. So you wake up, cast your spells, you know, keep an eye back in the direction from where you came in case there's, you know, an invisible giant snake following you. We left him his stuff. He should leave us alone. Yeah, he left him some of his stuff. <laughs> we left him the He's stuff like, that no, was not He's like, no, my dissertation relevant. on the Church of Serenre. Anyway. That wasn't his. <laughs> no, my giant crystal power source thing. I was totally going to do something with that. Also wasn't his. As soon as I figured out what it was. <laughs> you set off, making your way east at this point. Probably east and a little bit south. And now that Masika can see, she will investigate that. Is it pretty much just, if, can she just determine it's a large version of Narmer's Power it's, just, it's just a substantially larger version of Narmer's power source. Mind you, Narmer's power source doesn't detect his magic, but that's because its magic is currently animating him. Yeah. Because as a construct, he actually doesn't detect his magical. But in this case, yeah, it seems to be dormant. Narmer keeps trying to convince you to like replace his heart with it. No. Oh, give me superpowers. No. I bet I could shoot ray beams from my ash. No, no. Oh, okay. Besides, taking my heart out would probably kill me. Yeah. Mm. What if you did it really fast? No. Okay. <laughs> we just hear yeah and no over and over again. <laughs> so it'll take you a day's travel to navigate your way from where you were. In essence, you'd probably be able to travel across the desert. You're going to guess close to about halfway over the course of the rest of that day, traversing the open land, making good time. You arrive, rest up for the evening, and then I suppose awaken the following day, planning on scouring the desert looking for this obelisk? Uh, yes. Or the village, depending on which one is in Well, the we gotta find the obelisk first. So the following day, everyone can make me a perception roll as you begin to search the open desert, looking, scouring, investigating. Uh, Hollis rolls a 19 for a 19. I roll a 2 for a 20. Oh. Masika rolls a 9 for a 16. Narmer rolls an 18, which gets him a 32. I roll a 19 for 33. Okay. So it takes most of the day of you searching. You stop for the afternoon, or you stop for the, the noon period, resting as best you can, keeping your camels cool. Set off, continue your search. It's close to maybe three or four in the afternoon 
before you see something on the far horizon that seems to draw your eye, like a very distant, almost like a light reflecting off of something bright in the distance. It takes you the better part of maybe an hour, hour and a half, dust steadily beginning to set in as you make your way closer. As you begin to approach, all of you note three things. Sudi, one of these more than the rest. First off is an energy in the air, to the point that Sudi, you can feel your hair almost standing on end as you begin to approach closer. That's a bad sign. Secondly is this very distant rumbling, Mm. like a slow motion landslide. And third, as you begin to get closest, the last thing that you notice as you begin to approach towards what you think is your destination is this nose burning smell that makes you feel like your nose is about to start bleeding as you get closer to it. This Hmm. stench of ozone. The scorched obelisk, right? Apparently it's been recently scorched. Scorched by Nethys? You crest a dune approaching it and see an obelisk of black stone standing alone on the rocky desert plain. No markings seem to adorn its perfectly smooth sides. At the base of the obelisk lies a still-burned human form. Its skin charred black and flaking from its bones, and the tattered remains of its clothing flutter in a gentle breeze which whips past it. There is an almost audible hum. And that's it. Hollis attacks magic. There's got to be some magic on that. Jeez. Uh, You're currently 160 feet away, so you'll need to approach within 60 feet. Hollis approaches within 60 feet. Oh, that's probably not a good idea. All right, so Hollis begins making her way forward. What about the rest of you? I mean, I'm not going to let Hollis go by herself. So, yeah, make my way forward. Yeah. Sudi's not going to be probably super useful at this, so he'll guard the camels. I think I'll probably stay with... Even from spooking if this thing goes off. Yeah, I'll probably stay with uh, uh, Sudi then. Narmer is also staying behind because he's vulnerable to electricity. Yep. Mm. Very well. And we're just going to get 60 feet away from it and stop. (laughs) You make your way down, approach... This 30-foot-tall black obelisk standing alone in the desert. It's strange. It's almost hard to see its... The outer edges you can see clearly as you begin to approach, but it's almost difficult to tell where the corners of this are. It's so dark that it almost seems to drink in the light around it. Mm. Did anybody watch Aladdin as a kid? I mean, yeah. I mean, duh. The cartoon? Yeah, do y'all remember the episode where the obelisk shows up and then everything that's in its shadow, like, disappears? Yeah, it was a really creepy episode. Oh, I thought you meant Aladdin, the the TV show, not Aladdin. You mean the movie? Or Aladdin, the movie, not Aladdin, the TV show. Oh, no, the TV show. Yeah. No, I didn't watch the TV show. It was amazing. The hum becomes more and more pronounced as you approach closer to it. And you can see that there are very faint carvings around the Mm. base of the obelisk, but no higher than about two feet up. Detecting magic, it appears to be magical. You may roll spellcraft. Hmm. Uh, I roll an 11 for a 31. Uh, You may also make an Alterkana if you so wish. I roll an 11 for a 31. (laughs) Uh, First off, this is generating an aura of strong evocation. (laughs) Who'd have thunk? Secondly, you can tell what it is supposed to do. It appears to be designed as a defensive device you think it can somehow be used to charge weapons, swords, Hmm. daggers, whatever, with electrical energy that it absorbs from desert storms. Hmm. It's somehow damaged. Hmm. You don't know exactly what it does now. Although the snap, 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 
sound of the charred clothing of the humanoid form huddled at its base inclines you to think that it's not good. Yeah. So, um, not getting any closer, right? Oh, yeah. Apparently, you used to be able to use it to, like, enchant weapons with electricity from the from the desert storms, Ooh. but it's broken. So or, now I think it does that. She kind of points at the dead the, the guy. Uh, it kind of does that death. Masiko kind of <laughs> makes an ugh face. Yeah. Can we read any of the stuff on the sides from this distance? Not from 60 feet away. I'll point out two important things. Uh, I'll point out three important things. The first is, you see scorch marks surrounding this obelisk. It almost seems to be in a perfect circle at about 30 paces, or sorry, about 15 paces, so about 30 feet out from the obelisk itself. That's probably the zone that it'll get you. The second thing that you'd note is, while it is damaged, its trigger has not changed. In essence, it was designed to enchant something touched to it, which means that it still does not activate unless something touches it. Oh, well, if we don't touch it, it should be okay. Third and possibly pertinent is there is no way that you can think of to magically repair this. The runes could be potentially fixed by someone skilled enough in disabling or adjusting magical runes. In essence, it'd be a disabled device check. Hollis turns around. Hey, Citra, you feel like uh, messing with some runes? Uh, does that mean I'm going to end up like him? I can cast a, an energy resistance on you. Why do I feel like I'm not going to enjoy this? If it works, it'll enchant your kukris with electricity. I have a oh. magic that should bring you back from the dead. I'll just go stand right next to you, and if it happens, I'll poke you. <laughs> uh, that's like uh, my plan. Not better. as reassuring <laughs> as I think you intended it to sound. It sounds like a foolproof plan. That was definitely <laughs> not reassuring. <laughs> Citra feels like she got voluntold for something that is not good. <laughs> I can protect you from the electricity. All right, so uh, Citra, uh, and I guess our Sudi, are you coming too? <laughs> I guess Sudi will bring the camels closer and everything, since it looks like uh, we're doing something uh, probably ill-advised. Narmer, uh, great though. Don't get within about thirty feet of this. You should be okay. All right. Narmer so what Sudi exactly well am back. I needing to do? All right. So this device collects the energy of the desert storms and used to uh, enchant anything touched to it with said electricity. Now it appears to be broken, but someone with uh, the ability to detect and uh, fix and, and whatnot magical runes, such as yourself, should be able to fix it, therefore allowing it to continue its original purpose and therefore letting any of us that want to uh, have magic weapons, which really isn't me, but seems helpful for you. All right. Masika gives Citra so. a thumbs up. <laughs> oh, but first, here, some resist energy. Uh, <laughs> it's resist energy. You get 20 points, and it'll be for electricity. Thank goodness. <laughs> Do you have protection from energy? Because that might be better in this case, because it's just going to explode if, she, if it goes wrong. Because protection will give her a certain amount of hit point absorption. Whereas that'll just give her 20 for a number of rounds. Because if you can just give her protection from energy, even if it does like, I don't know, 50 points of damage, she won't take any. I don't have protection from energy. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's back, something's better well, that's than once nothing. we got out and had to start buying stuff. Like I had to start. Yeah, control, so. yeah. Uh, it was worth a shot. Okay, so I start with a 21. Just going to throw that out there. So it's pretty good. Does this count as a is disabling a trap? Yes, it is in essence a trap. Oh, definitely. Okay, so I actually start with uh, 26. Mm. That's why you bring a rogue. Excellent. Okay. 
All right. My dice luck was really <laughs> last episode. I need it back. <laughs> I rolled a 14. Cool. Okay. Which gives me a 40. With a 40, you make your way forward. Step up, probably gingerly stepping over the, uh, the charred body laying here. Look over the runes. This thing looks like it has probably been struck by lightning tens of thousands of time. To the point that it seems to barely be retaining its its structure. It's so dark that it's almost impossible to see the fractures running through it. But you can tell that it's taken extensive damage. Leaning forward, you pull out your tools, blow some magical powder across it to highlight the runes. Fill in, using a little bit of your training from your father, fill in some of the, the cracked sections with a little extra putty here. Shape the runes back into place. Looking these over, you gain an understanding of how this works. You think you bypass the trap somewhat. Okay. You cannot restore this to working properly. You can, however, get it to work properly at least one more time. Uh-oh, who wants All it? All right, so good news, bad news. I would estimate this thing has been struck by lightning by at least 10,000 times, mm. give or take. With that said, it's so damaged... I can probably only get it to work one time. Oh, well, just get it to work on one of y'all kukris. Okay. Or so, would it work on my amulet of the mighty of mighty fists? Yes. So mechanically, what cool. you can do, you can choose to do one of three things with this. You cannot tap into all of its power. By doing that, you can choose to enchant up to three weapons as shocking. This effect will last for one week. Mm. Oh, okay, so it's not it's temporary. You can choose to enchant one weapon as shocking burst for one week. This will actually still mean that the obelisk can continue to function. Or you can drain all of its power and permanently enchant one weapon as shocking. At which point it's drained the magic of this entirely and it will never function again. I kind of feel like we should do that because it murdered a guy. Yeah, that that's almost gonna be a, a service. I can, uh, I've got three options. I can do three weapons temporarily uh, for some benefit. One weapon for a decent amount. Or I can basically take everything it's got and do it to one weapon permanently. I think we should not leave a giant, super dangerous lightning rod in the middle of the desert. That is uh, what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, because you're very talented, but there ain't that many people that are that talented, and I wouldn't want another person to come along and get, you know, she points at that guy again. (laughs) Yes. If it's an estimate, you got a 40, and that did not beat the DC by 10. Wow. So. (laughs) Holy crap. Wow. All right. Well, um, please stand by with any sort of healing magic, just in case I'm wrong. Well, of course. So whose uh, <laughs> who's, who's stuff is getting enchanted? I kind of want to do my kukri, but... I was going to say, I, I also would really love to do my fists, but do you want to, like, Rochambeau for it? We can. We can roll off. Let's roll off. I'm probably going to lose. Roll a d6. Roll a d6? I don't know. It's a different die. Roll a, d- roll a d12. We never use Ooh, d12s. d12s. All right. D12. The lonely d12. Flat check. One, two, three, go. Cool. I rolled a two. I rolled a 12. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you rolled it and you were just like, oh, because <laughs> you knew I had no chance. Yes. <laughs> All right, do one of your kukris. Do it. Okay, I'm going to use my kukri. All right. I guess your main hand kukri. Yes. So you take the blade out, 
Ollie, drop your eyes back down to the Scorch Corpse, back up to this. Gingerly point the blade at it until the tip of your blade. I am muttering a pair, uh, prayer to Osiris as this is happening, just FYI. Osiris. <laughs> you touch the tip of your blade to this. The air fills with the sound of thunder. Light shrieks out of this as the pillar goes from black to purest white in an instant, Whoa. and the air reeks of the smell of lightning. Citra, your hand clenches onto your weapon involuntarily as a spasm of electricity trails up your arm. It tingles, and it hurts. <laughs> but eventually you're able to dislodge the tip of the blade from that as it just crackles with this continued stream of electricity up and down its length, giving these small, soft pop, 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 pop sounds like lightning in miniature as you hold it. Does, does ACDC's song Thunder start to play in the background? <laughs> no, it's the Imagine Dragons. That's, yeah, Imagine thunder. Dragons instead. Feel the thunder. <laughs> I mean, your I fingers are die. numb and tingly, but uh, you're alive. I'm not the dead. That's good. I mean, I, I was hoping that was what we were going for. Well, yes, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> Is there any way to know anything else about this set? Like, who might have put this here? Or, like, I don't know. Well, now it's depowered. You can get close and read the runes or whatever that's on it. I do wish to do that. Yeah, approaching a little bit closer, reading over the runes that are along the bottom of this. Uh, You can see that there are runes here denoting that this obelisk was built, it looks like, about 7,500 years ago. Whoa. Seemingly in honor of Sekpah Mefer III. Uh, here, given the honor fix, Pharaoh of Sphinxes. Interesting. Other than that, this seems to have, at that time, denoted the western boundary of Osirian. Oh, oh. interesting. Oh. Cool. It's grown a bit since then. Hollis jots it in her journal. Uh, anyone that wishes to may make me an alt history if they so wish. Okay. I do. I, I rolled a five or an 18. I roll a 17 for a 24. Is it Sphinx lore? Because you have Sphinx lore, don't you? Uh, but my knowledge history is actually higher than oh. my Sphinx lore now. And it is not Sphinx lore. Uh, Sudi, you are aware, probably having just read this in a book that you accidentally picked up thinking it was about Sphinxes, that Sekpah Mefer III is a well-documented friend of Sphinxes that lived in the deserts of Osirian. The creatures were common to see in the public court of the pharaoh, as he actually had one as his advisor. This friendship led him to claim that the Sphinxes had given him the secret to eternal life, promising that he would return after death to continue to lead the country as a god. Not great. Didn't didn't really work out that Uh, way. Unfortunately, this never seemed to have happened. And uh, he instead passed away and then he was buried in his pyramid uh, in the parched dunes. Oh, I bet that's here. Oh, okay. And then after that, from what you understand, the, the legend is that the pyramid was not built on a strong enough foundation. Uh, and that eventually the weight of it just caused it to sink beneath the sands. And then eventually it just disappeared. Some rumors claim cool. that the tip of the pyramid still extends above the surface of the desert. But at that point, only for a couple of inches. Oh, that, I was going to say, this could be interesting if this was like the tip of it. But no, they wouldn't have put an obelisk <laughs> on top of a pyramid. That's interesting. Some other adventurer's problem. I was going to say, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice hook for a side story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's where his Citra and Falto go after the whole of it. But yeah, you uh, you have an electrical well, dagger. Well, so I guess uh, it, we awesome. should make camp somewhere nearby and then head north in the morning. Is it north late in the day? These. I guess so. He said dusk was approaching. Mm. I'll also just uh, remind Jordan that you're playing a follower for Asma. 
Oh, yeah, there's a dead guy there. That's right. I forgot all about him <laughs> in, the, in the excitement over electrical weaponry. Goodness gracious. You got to stop being religious characters, man. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't help when I, I'm not actually a priest. I'm just like a, you know, I was like a, at best, lay priest. but A monk? Well, monk is his fighting style, really. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so Sudi will walk over, um, take the charred remains of the man. Does he have anything identifying? Like, I'm sure his holy symbol, if it's wood, has been burned off, and if it's silver, it's probably melted. But does he have, like, I don't know, holy symbols of anything? No. In fact, you actually, you see no supplies on him. Hmm. You don't know how he got here. Is this a royal naga in disguise? What? That's a legitimate question at this point. We don't know. Um, all right, so Sudi will, will pull him away from the obelisk. Outside of the the thirty foot kind of scorch range, there, I don't know who he followed. So Ferasma, take this wayward soul. May he find peace in the next life and a speedy judgment on your behalf. And hey, he's got a heck of a tombstone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and then I guess Sudi will probably have to do like a quick desert burial for him. Masika's good. I mean, Masika's good at those, I'm sure. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's probably not much left that's actually edible off of him. Edible? But, yeah, well, for the wildlife and stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, not for <laughs> cannibalism. Why do you go to cannibalism? In honor of his death, I will devour him. For? Like supplies, sure, but oh, he's edible. <laughs> I don't know. I understand where Jordan's coming from, but it was kind of funny. I do, but... That was poor phrasing uh, on my part. Since he wears no holy symbol, I will devour every part. <laughs> <laughs> I will get. I will gain That's his that story. strength. That's what that story was. Somebody ate somebody's heart. with the whole thing. Any hoozles. Um, <laughs> I was like, so, I'd like to have the heart jerky. <laughs> ew. Ew. Anyway, Sudi will, yeah, and I guess Masika can quickly like dig him into the sand a bit and bury him as respectfully as possible. But yeah, it's going to have to be a desert burial, which. Again, okay. you know, quick rights to Phrasma, and I mean, that's about all Sudi's really capable of doing. So you Sika enter the body. I will say prayers to Anubis. All right. She rolls with the old gods out here. Mm. Fair enough. So We're I suppose then bases. you uh, you rest up for the evening once again. Citra probably playing with her new cool lightning dagger. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. It also provides some illumination, although it's not nearly as steady of a light as your wayfinder. We're all trying to go to sleep, and all we hear is, like, the crackle Sizzle, of electricity trickle. sizzling around. It's like I got a lightsaber. <laughs> Masika <laughs> does her best to keep Narmer from it, since he has a weakness oh to electricity. Gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh, you oh. know what's going to be fun in the future is if uh, if Citra gets uh, hit with a suggestion or something to attack Narmer, and it's going to be like, no! Well, that that very doesn't sound fun one. at all. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just wait, well, That's my worst-case scenario thinking kicking in immediately. You rest up. Awaken the next day. The sky is taken on. The sky's gone from the the usual light blue, and on the far horizon is taken on this orange line, like a very distant storm. I imagine you pack up things and uh, head off. Cast all our various spells. So suppose then you set off north. Go ahead and give me a perception roll from the party. I got an eleven. I roll a fifteen for a thirty-three. Masika rolls a 6 for a 13. Narmer rolls a 16 for a 30. Yeah. I rolled a 7 for a 21. Man, that headband was a good purchase for Narmer. Mm. Oh, yeah. You set off. Make your way north. Keep an eye on the, the western horizon that, as the day progresses, steadily becomes a deeper and darker shade of brown. Almost as if the horizon becomes hazy. As the desert storm in the distance somewhat approaches. 
You spend hours searching the desert as you make your way north, periodically sending up Narmer into the sky to give a quick scout around, looking for any sign of habitation. It's a little before noon when you find it. Narmer spots in the far distance what seem to be maybe some structures. Immediately offers, and I imagine, to shot down the idea of going and scouting it himself. Yeah, no, he's grounded, remember? Except for when you need him to fly up and look around. I mean, not like literally. Oh, my God. <laughs> you set off making your way closer. And eventually, as you approach, you begin to make out what you guess are the ruins. Okay, this was a lot quicker than I thought it would be. It helps when we have better directions. Yeah, but when she we said We also go- have super fast camels. Well, I mean, yeah. when she said go north, I didn't figure it was like, you know, what, like six, seven miles? There's about ten, well, I think. I think they I think they picked that temple because of its, you know, reasonably short distance to this place, right? Well, maybe. I guess we should have a look around. As you approach, Carefully. broken rock walls offer scant shade from the burning desert sun, but Cloth sheets painted with triangles and yellow and blue stripes stretch between the crumbling walls, affording some shelter. Here and there, the walls remain intact enough to suggest the frame of a building, but the ruins otherwise appear ravaged by time. Still, the ruins show some signs of habitation. Wooden barrels topped with white marble lids stand in the shady area next to the wall. On the outskirts of the ruin, wooden racks hold stretched and drying animal hides. Very distantly, the hum of conversation drifts closer to you. It's, it might be the Moftet. Oh, but I thought the Sightless Sphinx was where we were going to find all the culty people. No, this is the ruin of the city. Oh! In Kermah. Kermah, yeah. that's yeah, right. I keep wanting to say Kermaga. I remember the Moftet, like, hang out in ruins. That makes a lot more sense, because yeah. I was like, why aren't we more scared? <laughs> Well, in that case, cool. It's probably the Moftet. Oh, well, that's exciting. Remember, uh, was it Ka'at that told us there were the Moftet out here? One of the elders told us that the Moftet might be out here. Do we need to be on our guard? No, the Moftet are usually friendly. Um, We should approach in a non-threatening manner, of course. Well, sure. When they get closer to the walls, Masika will call out hello. You begin to approach closer, although as you begin to get within, maybe you'd say a good hundred yards or so two shadows break free of a ruined tower spreading wide wings as they streak across the sky towards you can the moftet fly i think so both of these two figures pull up some maybe 70 or 80 feet away from you hovering at a height some 60 feet off the ground as they beat their wings furiously masika extends an arm up and waves broad hawk wings support these creatures torsos. Both of these figures, one a man, the other a woman, appear to be dark-skinned humanoid from the waist up, although their features are sharp and have a certain feline suggestion to them. Their lower torsos are those of a tawny bipedal lion, although their feet are somewhat tucked in, supporting them as their long lion-like tails whip back and forth behind them. Two large hawk-like wings sprout off of their back and spread wide. In both of their cases, they are covered in tattoos. Tattoos similar to those that you've seen on the Beckon and the other tribespeople that live out here, although different. In the cases of both of them, one of the tattoos 
on their chest glows a soft blue, and a second tattoo on each of their arms glows a soft blue as well. Sweet. Some of their other tattoos tattoos aren't glowing, but do seem to be of a similar design. Each of the figures carries a scimitar in each hand, although they aren't currently raised. The woman flutters forward somewhat closer. Good afternoon. You have come to Karama. Um, Are you peaceful? Yes. Yes. I'm Masika of the Beckon, and these are uh, my companions. Uh, she kind of motions for everyone to introduce themselves. <laughs> I'm Sitranam Habra. Holostock weather. Suti Kantar. We're out here hunting down some folk, and, and we need to find the sightless sphinx. Evil cults. Yes. What business does that have to do with our people? Um, this was a, a landmark on on the way to the Sightless Sphinx, and we were kind of hoping you might know exactly where it is. They they've kidnapped one of the, the three, three A baby, the three rays queen larva, and, and we need to get it back as soon as possible before their hive dies. The woman turns to the other, in a language I believe only Sudi speaks. Oh, they speak addresses the man in Sphinx. Oh. Woo! <laughs> they know of the Sightless Sphinx. The other one nods. They could be cultists in disguise. So, Sudi kind of pipes mm. up in Sphinx. We're definitely not cultists. You can check our bodies for the exploding th- runes if you want. We fight against them. Mm-hmm. The man looks down. We welcome trade and friendship here. In a sign of good faith, we will sheathe our weapons if you lay down yours. Okay. Uh, Sudi will turn back. I assume they were still speaking in Sphinx. Yes. They think we might be cultists. I told them we're not, but they said there's a sign of good faith to put our weapons down. Can we get them back when we leave? Hollis has already taken her weapons out. I mean, I assume so. The mithril daggers were expansive. I assume so. Masika drops her mace and her crossbow at her feet. Yep, Sudi will pull out his, you know, take out his crossbow, quarterstaff, dagger. Hollis has a surprising Can't do anything about his fists, though. Those are staying. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just kind of part of you. The woman flutters down. Just a bunch of daggers and stuff. I suppose Citra removes her array of awesome Bebo and various cool lightning dagger now. Yep. The woman nods, looks over all of you. Uh, I think Hollis looks to be the least physically fit. I'm assuming. I mean, (laughs) probably. We have no interest in your items. If you wish, she may carry them. Store them in your bag so that they are out of reach. Oh, okay. But you know that they are safe. I guess I'll put them all in my bag. (laughs) I was like, ah, oh, so heavy. <laughs> just down with all these they, want, they really want to just slow her down. That's fine. I've got a 10 strength. I'm not like negative on the strength department. You're going to need all of that for all the weapons we just piled you on. I will allow the party to make a diplomacy check. I will try to aid somebody else. I mean, I'm guessing that we're aiding uh, Masika. I aid Masika. I, um, I don't aid Masika. I roll a perfect 20. Excellent. So two aids. So that gets me a 30. An important question. uh, Is anyone wearing the pectoral of Tedesura? I am. Very well. That grants a plus five bonus on this as well. So 35. (laughs) You are friends of the guardian of the Southern Dunes. Yes, we know Tedesura. Tedesura has long been an ally of our people. She helped us quite a bit on our quest with the cultists. We're also doing her a favor by seeking out these cultists. They took something from her her guarded realm. 
Also, she put this stone in my head. <laughs> that too. <laughs> the man looks over towards the other one. He's still only speaking Sphinx, although she tends to address all of you in Osiriani. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he doesn't speak Osiriani. We should still check them. Tattoos, markings, masks. Mm. The woman shakes her head. They have been nothing but understanding up until this point. If they were cultists, they would have either attacked or charmed. Sudi suddenly has the realization he does not want them searching his pack because he <laughs> does masks. have a golden mask, and it's going to be really awkward to explain that. Hey, lots of them are melty. Oh, I guess they would be melty. Not the mask of Hakatep. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the two exchange a look for a moment. The man looks over all of you, back to his partner. We should not allow them entrance. The woman sighs. Ask Arayu if he will speak to them here, then. He grunts, spreads his wings, and soars back in the direction of the ruins. So they're going to get somebody called Arayu to come speak with us? So I'm assuming you guys have had a lot of trouble with uh, the cultists as well? Everybody out here has had a lot of trouble with the cultists. Hmm. Arayu is the leader of our pride. He will be able to explain it better than I. All right. No. I'm going to sit this bag on the ground because y'all have a lot of weapons. I sit the bag at my feet. <laughs> the woman makes her way forward, reaches down, pulls a water skin off of her hip, takes a drink of it just to reassure all of you before offering you some water. Sure. Yeah. We yay, probably water. all gladly take a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you. And Sudi is oddly fine. It's rude to, to refuse hospitality. I guess he'll take a drink. That's fine. That's true, yeah. <laughs> he just pours it down in front of him and licks it with his long tongue. Ah! <laughs> just in his palm that's of his so, hand. That's so unnecessary. <laughs> he, just, yeah, he just pours it on his paw and then licks it off. Goodness. You aren't made to wait for an overly long period of time. Eventually, the, the half-sphinx, half-man, this moftet, emerges again. This time not flying, but walking ahead of an older looking man. His hair is white. His fur is tawny but streaked with gray. And his wing feathers are tipped with white as well as if the color is slowly just fading out of him. But he seems to carry himself with an inner strength. His head held high. Like the other two, he is covered in an assortment of tattooed markings that that crisscross him. As an interesting side note, in the time that it takes for him to return, the woman's tattoos on her right arm fade and just return back to normal tattoo colors as the glow fades from them. The one across her chest continues to glow. Oh, they're probably like spell tattoos. The man watches you all curiously as he makes his way closer. There's a certain, there's a certain element to his gait, to the way that he holds himself that just reminds you of tired but still powerful lion, the obvious leader of his pride. He makes his way closer, stops a a respectful distance away. You have come to the pride of the dispossessed. What business do you have with us? Um, I'm Masika of the Beckon. Um, We're uh, making our way to the sightless Sphinx to stop the cultists. Um, your home was a landmark on some instructions we found at the old temple of Serenre. We were hoping you might be able to tell us how to get to the Sightless Sphinx from here. Hmm. He stares at you for an uncomfortably long period of time. Masika tries not to fidget. Until recently, my people lived in the shadow of the Sightless Sphinx. 
circumstances drove us from our homes, which have now fallen into the clutches of evil. We're here to stop that evil. The other two, Moftet, make a symbol with their hands, something that all of you are fairly familiar with, as it's a common symbol that the peasantry use to denote the eye of Horus, a warning symbol. I am loath to direct you to the Sphinx without knowing more about you. Not only is this a place of great danger, but you could unknowingly do great harm there. So, I regret to say I cannot help you until I am assured of your intentions. Is there anything we can do to prove our intentions? You have shown us respect. He looks up towards the sky. Set is coming. His storms gather in the desert. We should seek shelter. My people will provide for you this evening, and we shall speak. Thank you. Much appreciate. The man nods. The woman inclines her head and begins to lead you. The other man that had first come out watches you all warily. In short order, you are led inside. Now the ruins here seem quiet. Hollis hauls up this bag that's ridiculously heavy for her. (laughs) (laughs) They bring you inside. And inside the broken walls here, you see that the houses have been not restored by any means, but the cloth provides some covering and some protection from the storm and the winds. A number of other figures, Moftet, like the other ones that you'd seen, watch you curiously as you make your way in. They are not numerous. You honestly don't think that there's more than maybe a little over a dozen of them here in total. The three that you've seen here, perhaps a half dozen more, and will look to be four or five young children that watch you curiously from the corners of buildings. Moftet kids must be freaking adorable with their giant paws. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> but little toe beans. A few of them point towards you know, Sudi and call out in Sphinx, calling out riddles to you, perhaps thinking you're some sort of Sphinx yourself. <laughs> That's cute. Sudi's not smart enough to answer any of them. Uh, they're, they're, very, they're very simple children riddles. They haven't gotten to the, okay. the more complicated ones yet. Uh, Sudi, Sudi, Sudi will answer them as much as like he can. They clap happily as you make your way by. You are led to... One of the few buildings that still the bottom floor still has a ceiling to it as the second floor has collapsed, but the bottom floor still remains. Here you see that numerous pillows have been laid about. A fire pit has been created in the center of the room with a hole in the ceiling to allow the smoke to escape. Curtains hang up here and there about and array you lead you into this chamber. A few of the Moftet follow after delivering food, drink for all of you, date wine, and simple simple fare for all of you as they ma- as you can make yourself comfortable around the fire. The elderly Moftet settles in across from you. You have implied that you would be willing to provide us a service in exchange for information. That is correct. Our plan is to get rid of the cultists. We can help you drive the... or we'll probably end up driving them out of your old home. He turns to Sudi, and in the Sphinx tongue says, your people were once friends to ours until the darkness drove them from these lands. I mean, if this is the same darkness you're talking about that killed my parents and all of that, then yes, I'm, as far as I know, the only one left, and I grew up an orphan. This, 
He points towards your chest to where your holy symbol is. The symbol of graves. You do not hold the old faith. <sighs> no, I was raised in a town called Wati among people who worship the newer gods. I was trained at the Temple of Phrasma as a guard of sorts. Hmm. You will not find the Sphinx easily without a guide. I cannot spare one. We chose to settle in these ruins because my people were driven from their home. <sighs> Ancient places are most comfortable to us, but also because of a nearby outpost. He nods towards Sudi, where his people once held sway. The Black Vein? <sighs> the Black Vein? No. Oh. Uh. Newer. Too new to be of interest to us. An outpost, though, which holds a shrine to Sekhmet, the goddess of battle. <sighs> Upon settling here, we journeyed to the outpost to make our offerings to the Lady of Slaughter so that she would give us strength in retaking our home. <sighs> but as we approached, monstrous creatures emerged from the outpost and drove us back. His claws on his feet extend, digging into the sand beneath them. What sort of monsters were they? Red men with curved horns sprouting from their brows and fire in their hearts and mouths. <sighs> they attacked without warning, and we were forced to retreat before we lost even more of our pride. <sighs> I dare not risk any of us in a direct assault. And while this threat is near to my people, I cannot spare anyone to guide you into the desert. So if we get rid of the things at the outpost, somebody can take us to the Sightless Sphinx? The older man calms himself, takes a drink of wine. If you cleared the outpost, made a path for us to the Shrine of Sekhmet, <sighs> With Sekhmet's blessing, I would feel confident showing you the way to the Sightless Sphinx. And perhaps she would aid you in the difficult battle to come. I will allow any of you that wish to make me indulge the planes. I will. I will roll a 19 on that for a 39. Wow. Very nice. nice. Is it only Hellas that has planes? Yeah. Sure, Just technically, but yeah. I mean, technically sugar. So if I didn't make it, I can have her check it, but... Muscular figures, crimson skin, black horns, fire. These sound like a freak. Oh. Oh. Fire genies. Hmm. That would be a lot because that means they have like wish magic and stuff, right? What you know pertaining towards the freak is uh, they are a type of genie. Warlike creatures from the elemental plane of fire. Uh, they are extra planar fire creatures. They tend to be large. Um, often standing about 12 feet high. Although then again, the Moftet stand close to eight feet tall. So maybe they don't continue to consider them as large as you necessarily would. Mm. They have few allies amongst genie kind in large part because uh, they kind of attack everybody on site. Oh, um, wonderful. They mostly hate Jin and attack them on site. They hold equally strong hatred for Merids and view Jean as weak and frail. Wow. They work closely with the Shaitan, but even then those alliances are temporary at best. So they're kind of jerks. They sound like a freak, which doesn't not make sense. They're 
in the desert. They're fire genies, essentially, who are warlike and tend to not have many allies on account of attacking people on site. Wait, if they're genies, then doesn't that mean they, like, grant wishes and stuff? Uh, they come from the elemental plane of fire. They have lots of fire stuff. Uh, if you want for Hollis, you may ask four questions pertaining towards genies. The Afrit, specifically. Um, I guess I want to know their defenses and their attacks and their special qualities. Save one in case you need to And then I'll save one for the fight. (laughs) Uh, Special defenses. They are outsiders, so they have standard outsider stuff. Mm. In addition to that, they have an immunity to fire. They also have a weakness, although knowing what the weakness is is a separate question. Mm. For their special attacks, they have the ability to change their size. Ah, Twice per day, they can magically change a, change a creature's size. This works just like an enlarged person or reduced person. You choose the genie chooses the effect, except the ability can work on the Efreet as well. Hmm. They can also use it on others. Oh, so they might be able to be like, nope, you're a little sooty, sorry. Yep. But In I addition to that, powers. their body generates so much heat that they deal 1d6 points of fire damage whenever it hits in melee or grapples an individual. Oh, wow. So we're probably going to need to have some resist energy. So, in addition to that, they have spell-like abilities. Knowing what their spell-like abilities is a separate question. I think spell-like abilities. Spell-like abilities. Uh, They are under a constant effect of detect magic. So, sneaking up is going to be an issue. In addition to that, they can plane shift at will. Themselves and willing targets to elemental planes, astral plane, or the material plane. They can also produce flame at will, pyrotechnics at will, scorching ray at will. Oh, my God. Thrice per day, they can cast invisibility or a quickened scorching ray. Or wall of fire. Great. All right, so we're going to want to be impenetrable to fire. Uh, Masika, can you do any sort of, of anti-fire magic? Yeah. Once per day, they can also use gaseous form, permanent in- image, or can grant up to three wishes. Only uh, to non-genies. Fun. Well. But they can't ask one another for wishes. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's that So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely want to prepare as much... Um, you know, protection from fire as possible mm. and nobody uses the word wish around them lest they become able to make that into some sort of wish you may have quote asked them for and then like turn it back on you Narmer, we're gonna have to find some spells that aren't fire to blow things up with. I suggest lightning <laughs> uh, so you know that they have a weakness although you don't know what the weakness is uh, you also still have a question left if you want to use it for like special qualities or anything like that. What's their mm. see what their weakness is Weakness. They are vulnerable to cold. All right. Yeah. Hey, I have cone of cold. Here oh, we go. man. Yeah, I just blast them with that. <laughs> I'll have to do a deep dive into shaman spells and see what I can find. Nice. Um. Anyway, um, I, I believe that we can certainly take care of this problem for you and, you know, happy to do it, I suppose. Very well. May we rest here until the storm passes and then we will be on our way. Yes. We're high. He looks to the woman who had greeted you first. Yes, father. Ah. You will escort them to the outpost. Aid them if they ask. He looks back towards Sudian and Sphinx. Assure her survival. Of course. Rest well. Tomorrow you will walk through bloody sands. And we'll pick it up here next time. Yeah, that wasn't ominous at all. I know, right? Ah, uh, Sudi got to have Sphinx time. I know. How exciting! Can you play Moth Ted? I want to play a Moth Ted. I want to play a Moth Ted real bad. <laughs>
Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.